Hi, friend. My name is Amy Joy, and this is the Make Pro Beautiful podcast. I've been thinking recently about this scripture that says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. And I've heard this described also in places as an Easter egg hunt, sort of that thing of like, well, why would God hide something from us? Well, why do parents have little scavenger hunts for their children? It's it's humorous to me. You know, my my son, who's now nine, on his birthday, the day before, he said, Mom, I really want to have a scavenger hunt for my big present. And he knew what it was. He had asked for a Lego set. And so I, for him, what a scavenger hunt looks like is I come up with a bunch of post-it note clues and then stick them around the house and land. And then we go together and we figure out each of the clues and there's a lot of running involved. And (laughs) it's one of those where it would be lovely if the entire family got into it and did it together, but usually it's just him and me, but that's okay. You know, it's like our little, let's dash around and have a good time. Well, why do I do that? Because it's fun, because it's a point of connection, because he can kind of read me like, I think that this might be the dog's water bowl or, you know, whatever. It's, uh, (laughs) it's, it's fun. And then uh, I was so gratified. We haven't had any chickens for many months at this point. And so one of the clues was about, this is where the chickens slept. And he ran over to the entrance of the hen hut. And there's weeds now growing up through there that are taller than he is. And he was kind of like, oh, I don't see it. And I was like, well, is that where the hen slept at the entrance? And he was like, how did you get it in here without disrupting anything? So again, like I had actually wondered if that was going to throw him because I made careful, or I made sure not to trample any of the weeds right at the entrance, you know, skinnily make my way through. Ha ha. But anyway, it's like, that's fun. It's fun to be like, oh, well, are you sure? So then when you think about this with God, it's like, oh, here's God. He has all of these little hidden treasures in his word. And we can go and we can search them out and we can listen to other people who have done searching. It's actually kind of awesome. I think it's great. And so one of the little treasures for me that I'm just kind of sitting there going, hmm, I I have to think about this some more. Uh, The way that Marty Solomon describes the uh, book of, or the books of Kings and or Samuel and Kings versus the books of Chronicles, he would say, oh, the earlier ones are more like headline news. They're, they're written closer to the actual time that things are happening. So it's just reporting like, oh, yep, David just fell with Bathsheba. Sad times for him. But then when you get to Chronicles, this is written several hundred years later, and the people have had a chance to reflect a little bit more on what the events actually mean. And so in the story of David, they don't even mention the fall with Bathsheba. It's actually his moral failing or Solomon's moral failing with all of his wives are much less important to the chronicler, which is interesting to think about. And so what does the chronicler think is actually the turning point in David's rise or uh, we could say rise and fall, but like in his life, where did he go from being concerned about the glory of God's name to being maybe a little bit less concerned about that? And in Marty's view, it comes when he wants to build God a temple, which if you think about it, God was kind of like, 
I don't need a temple. I'm actually really happy in the tabernacle. It's a tent. It moves where I want it to go. I don't need to be stationary. I am not a God who gets boxed in. And yet David is like, oh, but my house shouldn't be nicer than yours. Like, come on. And so that that's Marty's view about what the chronicler is trying to speak. And it's interesting because for me, I have always thought about even Solomon's reign. It sounds amazing, right? Like he made silver and gold to be as common as the, or maybe he made silver to be as common as the rocks in the road that he went and he got all these horses and they had chariots and his stables proliferated and everything was amazing. And that sounds really awesome. I think especially the American side of me is like, oh yeah, bigger is better, baby. And so what was shocking to me was, I think it was maybe Deuteronomy 14. Marty pulls this up and he was like, okay, well, let's read through this list of commands. And it's like, do not pile up silver and gold for yourselves. Do not go down to Egypt in order to get horses, which is where uh, Solomon was buying all of his horses. Do not pro, like, do not go and trade with them. Do not get them. You don't want to be returning that way. And basically it was like, oh, this moment in history that I had been thinking was kind of like the pinnacle of the kingdom, at least from the geographical extent, from the financial extent, that this actually wasn't the pinnacle, that this was actually a sign of the downfall. This is a sign of the sin of Solomon, not of the Lord's favor on Solomon. And it also puts into some relief, like why, as someone who was supposed to be so wise, what is that about? Like, how could somebody that's that wise fail so badly? And so I don't necessarily have any answers around that. They also said that, and I had never noticed this and I haven't actually verified it, but they said that the Queen of Sheba brought... It was something like 666 tons of gold. And kind of like, that would be a blazing indicator that all is not well. So indeed, if that's how much she brought, that would be a pretty blazing indicator. Uh, Anytime you have that 666, that's not going to be a good sign. And yet we recognize from the scriptures that Jesus on some level commends the Queen of Sheba because she goes to honor Solomon. And then he's like, but she's going to rise up in judgment on you because one greater than Solomon is here. So I think there's a level of saying we honor the Queen of Sheba for honoring the wisdom of God. Yeah, so Lord, this too is not an easy teaching. Lord, I think about um, how, how difficult it is to stay focused on you. And partially, Lord, this is because your word has so many different instructions and so many different examples. And I feel like it could be a little bit hard sometimes to even come away feeling like, oh, I've totally figured out the right lesson. (laughs) When we think, okay, yeah, there's some people who you bless because you love them. You bless them financially, I should say, whether it be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, like those would be probably some of the the more pillars of our faith. But we think about Job at the end of his life, how you had granted him double of what he had had before you took everything from him. And Lord, then we think though about the New Testament believers and how granted there were some who were wealthy, whether it be Lydia 
uh, who was there helping to support uh, Paul's or the, or the early church there, I think in Philippi, we think about the women who supported Jesus' ministry on while he walked the earth. And there were plenty of people who were giving money to um, help with the famine in Jerusalem. And yet, Lord, we also recognize that financial gain was not ever Paul's motivation. So he was going around and he was still supported, like, and he supported himself. And we recognize that the leaders there in Jerusalem had uh, income coming in because they were somehow being supported by the local community. Lord, and yet none of them were like, what we really want is to become as wealthy as Solomon. So, Lord, we just need help. We need help to know what it looks like to walk with you, what it looks like to be faithful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.